Hello and welcome to the How to CEO podcast. When you decided to become a CEO, the world changed. You can either crash and burn or you can build a billion dollar company. But building a billion dollar company is hard. Along the way, there are many challenges and struggles. We're trying to seek information. How do I become an amazing CEO? I'm your host, Murray Newlands, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Arjun. He has built SaaS companies, sold SaaS companies, advised and invested in over 400 startups, has worked as an advisor for many of the leading firms uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, with that, we're going to be covering the topic of what investors are looking for in CEOs in 2020. With that, I'd let you, Arjun, please introduce yourself uh, and, and let's, let's talk about this. Great. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, really excited to be here. Appreciate uh, the audience and the time. Um, so my name is Arjun Devarora. I'm uh, currently the founder of a firm called Valence Advisory. I work closely with emerging venture funds. Um, and most of my time I spent with founders and operators and executive teams, uh, helping them be more effective uh, in their roles, uh, running and scaling their company. So what trends are you seeing at the moment? And, and what are you seeing uh, CEOs fail at? And what are you seeing CEOs become really good at? Yeah. Uh, so some of the things I'm seeing right now is the founders and CEOs that are really, really strong with getting a capital stack. So, uh, you know, raising money from investors that are values aligned, that get them, that understand their vision and where they're going. Those who do that really well are starting to kind of percolate in the ecosystem, which is really exciting. One of the other things I, I'm seeing CEOs do well is start to be really thoughtful about what their values are and how these, those are manifested in, you know, what they do and how they operate. We've also seen a lot of crazy stories of founders doing that not so well, but I think on the whole, I'm generally optimistic about the way that the direction in which the ecosystem is moving. Okay, so talk to me about your work helping founders and CEOs. What, what help do you see that they generally need and how should they think about, uh, about improving themselves? Yeah, it's a great question. So it usually comes in the form of two places where outside you know, assistance is most required, and that's in terms of capital and people. So on the capital side, as folks are coming together and getting their story ready for fundraising and finding the right set of investors that they want to partner with and engage with, um, you know, that's where you know, typically founders need a lot of help you know, around strategy, storytelling, narrative, list building, outreach, just back channeling as appropriate. And then on the people side, it's really about, okay, now that you've got this money, how do you build and scale a team that will allow you to achieve your vision? And while you're doing that, how do you ensure the teams and the people work really well together? So those are things that I've seen, you know, founders who are really savvy in building hyperscale companies do uh, look, look and reach out to uh, for help around. Okay, so that, that covers a lot of topics. And yes. <laughs> break those down and sure. them stage by stage. Yeah. So I'm a founder and I've got a great idea. I'm maybe getting some traction with my team and getting some traction with my company. I've got a product there. I want to start raising money. Yeah. What is the process for that? And how do I rapidly improve that process? I'm very passionate about this topic and I've written a LinkedIn post about it as well, which you can find on my LinkedIn page. But uh, to walk you through it, I think the most important thing to do is to first get prepared out the gate. And so that means understanding who are all the investors that might invest in your stage, uh, in your vertical, and uh, particularly or potentially in your geography as well. In some cases, if you're a um, certain company, you know, Sand Hill investors may not be interested. In other cases, they are. Um, once you've kind of formed that list, that's great. That's what you're starting with. The next thing is getting your narrative and your material tight. So really making sure that you've got your, you know, blurb ready, that's something that's easy to forward along, your 10 to 12 page deck, and have your talk track and your story really crisp. 
once you've got that, then it's actually about running a tight and concerted process where you work to activate your network to get in front of the best investors you can for your business and do that in a short condensed period of time. So do you know a lot of outreach, get the word out there, um, start having those meetings. And then as you're building that momentum, as you're chatting with investors, you know, start to move them towards close. So have a set of business updates or, you know, transactions or revenue growth or key hires that are happening that you can use to galvanize um, and get the process towards close. So that's the, the short version of um, a process that I've found to be very effective with, you know, like I said, uh, many, many companies that I've worked with over the years. What are some tips on getting your, your story or narrative down? Yeah. Because that's really hard, really, really hard for a lot yeah. of owners. Totally. Talk about product and features. <laughs> yeah. Um, story. Sure. Uh, where do you draw the line between product features and story? And yeah. where, where, where the financials come in? Like all of like getting that whole thing right, getting the pitch deck right is just like super hard, particularly because you're digging into it yourself. Yeah. And I think this is where having outside, you know, just parties, whether it's people, other founders that you worked with, or your earlier stage angel investors or other folks, or a set of advisors that have been around the, the table to help iterate on that. And I think also, you know, getting in feedback from uh, customers, from employees, from your friends, even to help you simplify the story is really important. But it is, it is very much an art and a science to refine that story and get it tight so that it feels like you are solving a real big problem you're approaching it in a thoughtful way and you have the right kind of go to market strategy and product roadmap such that it feels crisp and tight that's really really important and then how do you find that list of investors who might invest in your company uh, thankfully these days there's a lot of resources that are available so angel list crunch base cb insights uh you know there's a lot of these lists that are even floating around uh, on the web first republic bank folks have thrown out lists of emerging managers uh, or you know up and coming seed stage funds so there's a lot of places to find uh, this information now and then you know using linkedin and angelist and other tools you can start to understand how your network kind of collides and in engages and intersects with that of the you know the investors community that you're looking to target and then you can find the best warm introductions in I know that in Silicon Valley, you are known as a, a, an early investor, savvy investor, you have lots of contacts. As a startup, getting that, the right first investors can make all the difference. They can help you with your story. They can get you in front of uh, all those, uh, the right investors. They will know the right VCs. Yeah. You will be on the right track from, from day one. Uh, how do you identify those people? Um, and how do, you, how do you clear out those that, that aren't going to be helpful to you? I think the, the best way is to really understand who's writing angel checks and who's advising companies at what I would call a pre-seed stage. Um, so looking for folks who are writing those early stage checks and um, you know doing kind of really in-depth advisory work at the earliest stages is the important list to curate. And I think the best way is to ask other founders who have recently raised capital. So in the last six to nine months, who's actually, you know, raised money, you know, from at that, what I would call, you know, pre-seed or angel friends and family stage and see who's actually active in the market. It's kind of crazy because some people may have a big liquidity event. They may write a bunch of checks and then realize, you know what, I'm going to go retire on a beach. Other people are kind of slow dripping, um, but go through ebbs and flows. So it's really important to just touch base with the ecosystem and understand who's actually active right now. Another thing that happened in the last three years is that a lot of those angel folks just started creating their own venture funds. So now, you know, you may chat with them at a pre-seed or seed stage in a formal way, but they're no longer angel investors. So you know, you just got to be in the market and, and be chatting with folks and, and understanding what's going on. 
And I'm seeing A rounds become bigger, and yes. A round funds move later. And so there's an interesting, interesting move where angel pre A post seed rounds are getting, yeah. are getting bigger, moving up. Um, it's becoming more, more complicated. Any advice to navigating that? Sure. Yeah, it is pretty complex. I'd say these days, what I'm seeing in the market is, you know, angel friends and family is anywhere from, you know, 50 to 250K. A proper pre-seed round these days is 250 to 750. You know, those are folks like Precursor, Afor, and others. And then a seed stage round, which would be a more, you know, traditional, six years ago, we might've called this an A, but now it's a seed and that's somewhere between one and a half to 3 million. And there may be a second seed or what, you know, a seed bridge, um, you know, or seed extension is the term du jour. So that may be another, you know, million to 3 million as well. And then finally, we'll get to a series A. These days, you know, they're anywhere from five to 15, probably averaging somewhere around eight or 9 million um, is what, you know, we're seeing a lot about in the market. And $10 million A's are, are kind of uh, more normal than they've ever been in the past. And then as the company builds momentum, what are investors' expectations of CEOs as they're building that company in I think investors' expectations from a team perspective are that you're being really rigorous and thoughtful about hiring, particularly not that you shouldn't be from day inception, you know, from the inception, but once you raise a seed and especially after you raise an A, that you're adding real process in, that you're starting to use an ATS, that you're being thoughtful about, you know, looking for unique and diverse pools uh, of, you know, folks to select from that you're just being tight about your actual process itself so that people leave having had a good experience, whether they take the job or not. And I would say absolutely at the Series A, having that people function starting to get really tight is, is critical. What mistakes are you seeing people make that they shouldn't be making by now? Yeah, at, at the kind of, at the seed stage, I think what I see happen a lot is that people are still used to being in very scrappy mode. So they're not actually spending the money that they get after they raise the seed round. And they're still being a little, you know, tippid and timid around spending the money they need to spend to go get that A. I also see that at the A, but if they've done a good job at the seed, they're usually comfortable with that by the time they get to the A. And at the A, I think people need to start, you know, institutionalizing, putting more process, more structure in place, particularly around communications in and amongst the executive team. How do you maintain a regular cadence that happens with the uh, with the executive team. And then for the founders, they need to start becoming thoughtful about executive coaching and kind of being able to zoom out a little bit because they've probably been pretty much in the weeds. But as they're getting to the A, they need to start being more forward thinking, more about understanding communication, setting the vision, and starting to think about you know subsequent rounds of financing. And in the case of B2B, actually going out and closing some of the larger deals or assisting with those things. But that requires getting out the minutiae and being able to kind of zoom out and operate more at the market starting to operate more at the market level than just purely 100%, you know, the feature level, so to speak. I'm really starting to see a trend in the executive coaching, educating executive team. Why do you think that is and why now? Um, I think as more and more technology starts to solve some of the more, let's call them, you know, uh, computer solvable or menial tasks, more of what we're doing as humans and more about what the future of work is actually involves around people and communicating with people, setting a clear vision, setting clear OKRs, direction, and then making sure that communication is really tight and crisp. So as software starts to handle more of the kind of day-to-day, -day, what's left is actually the human things of selling, convincing, leading, 
fundraising, you know, any of those things that require just being more human. And in doing so, you know, executive coaching becomes even more important because how you are, you know, in rapport with yourself, how you are in rapport with others, how communication flows in and amongst your organization, where there might be blockages, where there's not appropriate levels of debate and disagreement because of fear or other things. These all become really, really critical as companies scale. Excellent advice. Who else do you see doing a really good job in this space right now? Um, I'm a big fan of the folks uh, at, you know, let's call it the seed stage where they're pretty hands-on with their teams and, you know, actually adding a lot of value. So Pair Ventures, uh, Social Starts uh, is another early stage venture fund. Streamlined Ventures is doing a great job. ENIAC is another seed stage fund that I, you know, have a lot of respect for. First Round Capital, of course, has been, you know, one of the originals and, and uh, their content is stellar. So those are some of the folks that I, you know, see out in the ecosystem that are really helping out their founders at the earliest stages. And then uh, Precursor at the Pre-Seed uh, that I mentioned earlier as well, really doing a great job. That's awesome. If people want to connect with you, um, how do they do that? And, and what type of people are you trying to connect with? Thank you. Yeah. So the easiest way to get in touch with me is probably uh, Twitter and then LinkedIn and then email and uh, open to connect. And my information is kind of out there in the world. So I'm easy to find. And then uh, what I'm, you know, what uh, looking for right now is uh, founders who are kind of seed and series A stage uh, that are looking for operational fundraising and executive coaching support as they're getting and ready to scale up and, uh, and grow their their businesses. And, uh, you know, we work through referrals, so find a warm introduction in and, uh, you know, we'll see if it's a fit. But I love working with great founders who are passionate, not only about what they're working on, but passionate about improving the process of building and improving the process of, um, you know, scaling their company. So those are the folks that we want to uh, to work with. Thank you very much. I'm Mark yeah. Newlands. You've been listening to the How to CEO show. I look forward to connecting with you next time. Thank you.